All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to step out of the book of Corinthians this morning, and we're going to step into the book of Romans. So if you would open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And this morning, as we are going to be celebrating the baptisms of three of our people, we want to, again, be reminded to some degree what baptism is about. And so as we go through this text, a text that really deals with, with sin and the believer, we're going to see what takes place during conversion and really is a picture of what takes place and spiritually takes place in conversion and in baptism that we celebrate in a physical way by, by dunking people in the tank. And so this morning... Hopefully, we'll get a better understanding of what we are actually celebrating as we uh, baptize people this morning. So join with me at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And our text will be verses 1 to 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slave to sins. For he who has died is free from sin. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle this text here this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. And that you would take whatever is said here from the pulpit and that you would override it and that only what is true and right will be heard, that you, Holy Spirit, will teach through the word and that we will be a changed people this morning because we have heard from our God as we have heard from him through the pages of scripture this morning. So build your church, I pray, this morning. Use your word as you choose and may you be glorified, I pray in your name. Amen. Now, we're coming to this chapter here in Romans chapter 6, and really what's taken place in Romans so far, because we're parachuting into a book, we want to make sure we know where we're at, is simply Paul has given the gospel, and he has given a gospel of, of grace. And if we're going to, if we're going to look at, at, at the book of Romans, we would say this is how you give the gospel. Because Paul does not start with, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. He starts with what? The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he starts with the problem, you're lost and you're under the what? The wrath of God. But guess what? There's good news, right? Because God's grace, right? He has provided a way of salvation, Right? For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now we recognize that, that salvation comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him. 
And so you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can only what? Receive it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that raises this question. If salvation is by grace, by faith alone in Christ alone, then maybe I can, it doesn't matter what I do. Because after all, once I'm in, I'm in. And that means I can live what? Any way that I want. I can live any way I want and it doesn't really matter. And that's why Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that may, grace may increase? In other words, where sin increased, grace abounded more. Guess what, Paul? I'll just go on grace. I'm in. Grace is good for me and I'll just, I'll just count on that grace. I'll sin. God's grace will cover that. Life will go on. But Paul wants to make sure that, he, that we understand that when we come to salvation, that there is a dramatic change. There's a change in us, and it's a transforming change. It's not just a forensic change, but a transforming change in our lives. In other words, something happens to us, and we start to act differently. And so this morning, he really asks this question. He says, may it never be. May, may you never continue and, and presume on grace. He says, how shall we who died to sin live in it? And he simply says, listen, when you came to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your trust in it, you died to sin. Sin didn't die to you, but you died to sin. There was something that happened in your conversion when you were saved and you have now died to sin and you are no longer in that sphere of sin. You are no longer in the slave, slavery to sin. And in fact, you've been made new. You are now in Christ. And so guess what? You're no longer living a life of death. You're no longer living a life of sin. So Paul says, how can you keep on living in it? How, how can that be? Because guess what? Death and life are incompatible. Death and life are incompatible. You can't be alive and dead at the same time. Now you can be alive and look dead, right? And you can be dead and look alive, but you can't actually be what? Alive and dead at the same time. And he says, guess what? There's a death that's happened. There's a death to sin that's happened and it cannot continue on in your life. You are no longer in that sphere or that realm of sin. And so the rest, rest of this passage, now Paul is really going to give us some principles that, that demonstrate that we can't be alive and dead at the same time, that we cannot continue in sin. He stated it. He says, you, you, what? you died to sin. Now he's going to really flesh that out. What does it mean to die to sin? What does it really look like? How did it happen? And in, in giving us those things, he's actually going to show us again, give us a picture of what water baptism is representing. And so we're going to see that as we go through this passage, and we're going to see the parallels in the spiritual realm to the physical realm that we see here as we baptize people in H2O, in real water. So he says, first of all, recognize 
here's why you can't be in sin. This is why you can't cling to your sin. This is why you can't be someone who continues like life as normal. He says, because you have been, it says here in verse 3, um, or do you not know that all of us have been what baptized into Christ Jesus? Now he says, you have been baptized into Christ. You, have ha- you now are, are identified with him because you now are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. So you say, what does that mean to be baptized into Christ? What, how, how, what does that mean? Well, some people have said, well, this, this means to be baptized into Christ means to be baptized into the name of Christ. But that's not the way that this preposition is used. The idea here is that you are not baptized in the name of Christ. You are baptized actually into Christ. So what does that mean? What does that actually mean? Like we say it, but what does it mean? And I'm going to tell you. It's really not easy to know because we're again dealing with God and we're dealing with with an infinite God. And there are things that sometimes are very difficult to understand. But the idea is this. When we came to salvation in Christ. We were now what? Associated or identified with Christ And we were now baptized into him so that we now find our identity and our life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are tied together. We are fused into Christ. Now, we do have a couple uh, biblical example that maybe will help us. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2, it talks about the Israelites being baptized into Moses. They are being baptized into into Moses. Now, what does that mean? It says they were baptized by the cloud, they're baptized by Moses, they're baptized by the glory. What does that mean? Well, it's not that they took Moses, put him in the blender, and sprinkled him on everybody, right? The idea is what? That they were now under Moses' leadership, they were now under his, the Mosaic blessing. They were under his authority. They participated in the Mosaic privilege. And now the blessings that came through Moses were now blessings that reached to the people who followed him. And so to be immersed into Moses, to be involved in all that God was doing in the life of Moses. And that's a good parallel. We are now immersed into the life of Christ that it touches every area of our lives. And so he says, we, we, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, Matthew 28. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. So that when you became a Christian, you became one with him. Remember that 1 Corinthians passage was in the light of what? Immorality. You can't put your body together with what? With, with the prostitute because what? You're one with Christ. Your life are so entwined that, the, and that you have been placed in Christ and you're associated with Christ that it's as if you are living one life. 
Galatians 3.27 says, As many of you has been baptized into Christ have what? Put on Christ. And now you are together. There he equates putting on Christ and baptizing into Christ as one and the same. It's two ways to speak of it. In one sense, we are being immersed in Christ. In another sense, we are just putting him on over us. And so he says, we are being baptized. When we came to salvation, right? We receive what? The Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that we were baptized into the body of Christ. And now we have what? Connections to Christ because he is our head. He is the one who is the head of the church. And so we have been placed, as it were, in Christ. Even when he says in Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive, listened together with Christ and raised us up together and made us what? Sit together. And now our life is entwined with Christ. It is completely identified with Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. And so he's not speaking here of baptism into Christ, water baptism, but he's speaking of a spiritual reality that we are now identified and fused with Christ in our life. We are in union with Jesus Christ. It's an incredible thought. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.3, According as his divine power hath given us all things to pertain to li- unto life and godliness. When you were saved, his power gave you all things pertaining to life, the real life, spiritual life, godliness. And in verse 4 he says, We've been given exceedingly great and pr- rich, precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world through lust. Salvation led you out of corruption and made you a partaker of the divine nature and equipped you with all that life and godliness could ever have. It's just a great truth. And so that's that first principle. How can you continue in sin? How can you keep on sinning? You died to sin, why? Because your life is now fused with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in essence, every time you sin, what are you doing? It's like we said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. You are making Christ participate in that immorality. He's basically saying you're fused with Christ. And when your life is with him, you are dragging Christ into sin. And he says, how can that be? How can you take him with him? You died to that. You're alive in Christ. How can you be holding on to sin? Because you are what now? Refused with Christ. You died to sin how? By being fused to Christ. And now he's going to explain it even in in a deeper way. And he says, not only are you fused with Christ... But he says, you have been baptized into Christ's death and into his resurrection. He says, therefore, what? In verse four, therefore, we have been buried. He says, we have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united within him in the likeness of his death, certainly 
we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so he says, not only were we baptized into Christ, but we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him. And so he says, listen, we have been baptized into his death. We have been We are now baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And so he really restates what he said in verse 3 here. But he's saying, you have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now, what does that mean? You have been buried with him. Well, the idea is this. That just as, as Christ was died and was buried you too have been what? Baptized into his death. In other words, when Christ died on the cross, when you became saved, you became a, a participator. <laughs> Woo. You participated in his death. It's as if you were, not just Christ was there, but like you were there. And his death was for you. You died with him. You died to sin. You put your faith in him and, and by some divine miracle you were placed into Christ and you were taken back 2,000 years and you died and you were buried and, and you were buried with the old life and you could not live. So he says you were, you were buried with him. You died with him. You died to sin. And so he says, how can you be in sin when you were, were with Christ and you died with Christ and you were on the cross as if you were on the cross with Christ? How can you continue in that sin? And then he says this. We've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he says, here's, here's the reality. We didn't just die with Christ to sin. We were raised from the dead spiritually as Christ was raised from the dead. And he says, Christ was raised again and he was raised through the glory of the Father it doesn't say to the glory of a father. It says through the glory of the father. And he's simply saying it is a demonstration of God's glory and his power and, 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 and a demonstration of all who he is as he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It demonstrates who the father is. It demonstrates his glory because we see his power in time and space as Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And then he says this, so that we might walk in newness of life. In other words, we didn't die with Christ. We didn't just die as if we were on that cross and died to sin. We weren't just raised with Christ, but we were raised for a purpose to a newness of life. Now, the word new here is not the idea of new in, in, in chronology, the word's not chronos, it's not time, but the word is neos. 
And that means it's, it's new in quality, new, new in kind, a new quality of life, not like the old life. In other words, we were raised to walk what? In righteousness. We were to raised to be like Christ. We were to raised to live for Christ. And so he says, we, we have been what? We have a new life, a new pattern of life, a new quality of life. Not, not a life that is consumed by sin, not a, a life that is consumed by following our fallen nature, but a new life, a new pattern of life. A life that should be a pattern of righteousness. The Bible speaks of the new life, a holy life, as something that's already been accomplished. The Bible speaks of this in such beautiful terms as Ezekiel 36. He calls it a new heart. Ezekiel 18 calls it a new spirit. 2 Corinthians 5 calls it a new creation. Galatians 6.15, a new creature. Ephesians 4, 29, 24, a new man. Revelations 2, 17, a new name. Psalm 40 says that we will sing a new song. Everything is new. There's a quality of life difference. And that's why when we talk about eternal life, we, we want to get away from the idea that eternal life is just living forever. Because we know that what? Unbelievers are going to live forever too. Right? God's going to raise them up. He's going to give them a glorified body that is going to be able to withstand the torments of hell forever. So when we talk about having eternal life, we are actually talking about what? A quality of life. We, ha we are having the what? The life of God. He has placed life in us so that we can live for him and live like him. Now, we don't become him. We never can be. But as much as, much as we can as a created being, we what? demonstrate who he is and so we've been given a quality of life that allows us to enjoy the very life of God and that's why John John 17 talks about us being one with God and really the ultimate idea is that we're sucked up into the Trinity to enjoy the life of God the Trinity has been communicating and and fellowship for all eternity and now we get to enjoy that because we will be there and we will see it and, and we will participate in it an unfathomable idea. Now you can certainly start to see here what we're doing when we come to baptism, right? We are demonstrating exactly this, that we have been what? Died with Christ. We are dying to our sin. We are dying to self. We are being buried with him. And then we will be raised with him. And then we will live a what? A new life. That's what we do. We now live a life. And that's what we're demonstrating here. I died to sin. I am being buried with Christ. I go under the water. That's my death, my burial. And then I am raised out of the water to what? To newness of life. Not to live like I used to. But to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, for if we have become united within the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, you've been, you've been raised and now you're different, right? You are now different. You have a different kind of quality of life. You are now able to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now able to be obedient to him. You now have a new direction. And he says, this is for you. 
And certainly as we come to baptism, that is exactly what we're demonstrating. People are saying, this is what's happened to me. I came to salvation. I was united with the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? I died to sin. I died in his death. That death was for me. And I have died to self and died to sin. And I have been buried with him. And now I'm raised up to what? To live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm doing. And so Paul says, not only this is what baptism does as we demonstrate it physically. But he says, this is why you can't be in sin. Because you died, you, were, you died with him, you were buried with him, you were raised to a new life, a new quality of life, not like you were before. And then the third thing I want us to see this morning is simply this. Not only have we seen that we were united with Christ, not only were we united... Uh, uh, in union with Christ not only were we united with Christ in his death and resurrection but the third principle that we see that and they all follow is the body of sin is destroyed the body of sin is destroyed he says this knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. So he says the, whole, the body of sin is it has been destroyed, has been sent away. Now he says knowing this, and the word here for knowing is, is, is the word epigonosco, or gnosko I mean, and the idea here is to know by experience, to know by experience. And so Paul is saying, you already know this. I shouldn't have to tell you this. This should be intuitive to you already. You already know what I'm about to tell you. This is not anything new. As a believer, we have experienced this deep reality in our lives. We should know with an inner certainty that this union with Christ in his death is true. We should know that our old self is crucified. So the question becomes, he says, knowing this, this is what you know by experience, you already have understood that our old self was crucified with him. What does he mean by that? What is the old self, right? We, what do we mean when we say the old self was crucified? Well, we, we certainly know it's not physical at this point, right? Because we're all here. But what does he mean by the old, the old some, some of your translations say old, the old man. And again, that's not referring to your father. It's referring to your what? Your old person, right? And so he says, what, is, what does that mean? What, what actually takes place when that takes place? Well, I think we get a picture in Ephesians 4.22. What does the old man look like? Ephesians 4.22. It says that in reference to your old manner of life, he says, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. In other words, your old self is what? 
is, is your old unredeemed nature. Look at Colossians 3.10. He says, you know that you have what? Sorry. Forgot to put my papers in order. He says, lie not to one another, Colossians 3.9, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man. And so he says, this is something that has taken place, right? This is something that has already taken place. This is taking time, taking place once for all. This isn't something that we need to do now. The idea is that it has already been done. So what is the old man? It's the unregenerate nature. It is described for us in chapter 5. It is the in Adam man. Chapter 5 verse 12 says, As one, by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And then in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Adam was the identifier in terms of the fifth chapter of those in sin. Being in Adam is being in sin. Being in Christ is being in grace. As in Adam all what died, so in Christ all what be made alive. So it is the old man, the Adam, Adamic nature, the unregenerate nature of the old nature, if you like that term. What I was in Adam is that old ego of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not, not the old one, but what? the new one. And so he's simply saying this, your old man was your what? Unregenerate nature. That, that nature that had a propensity to what? Sin, who was a slave to sin. That's all you could do. All you could do is sin. That, that was who you are. You sinned, you liked to sin, that's where you went. And so he says, this is what took place when you came to salvation. You were, you crucified that old nature. That old nature has been replaced with what? A new nature. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so he says, listen, this is, this is what took place. When you came to salvation, your old nature was what? Killed. It was crucified with Christ. Right? Now, remember, crucifixion leads to what? Death. Death. Okay? So he's saying, it died. Your old man was crucified, and it died there. That, that nature that could only serve sin was enslaved to sin, and that's all it could do is now what? Dead. You've been given a new nature in Christ. And he says, listen, how can you continue in sin? How can you keep sinning all the time? If you are, your nature is changed. You're no longer a slave to that. You're, you're no longer having to sin. So how can you be what? Continuing in it. It's not who you are anymore. 
that old man, that old nature has now been replaced with a new nature. You don't have to sin. So you're not perfect yet, but nevertheless, you are a new creation. You are a new man on the inside. You've been given a new heart. And so what I want you to understand is this. The old man is dead. The old man is dead. You don't have two, two natures in you. You have one nature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. The old man is dead. He no longer is who you are. That old man was completely a slave of sin. You are not. You've been given a new heart. You've been given new desires. You've been given a new direction. And the old man has ceased to exist. The old man has ceased to exist. And so we have in essence died to the power of sin because our nature has been what? Changed. It is no longer who we are. And so he says, knowing that your old self, your old regenerate nature, that, that thing that kept you, kept you sinning, that kept you with the inability to know God, the inability to please God, the inability to want to please God, the inability to serve him in any way or understand spiritual truth, that has been removed he did that. He was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, what does that mean? What does body of sin mean? Well, some have said that means your physical body. Your physical body is, is sinful. Yet I would suggest to you in creation, God said it was what? It was good. It was good. So what does he mean here by sinful body? Well, I think, there, I think we need to understand this. That there is a difference between the physical body and our humanness. We would understand this. We are to present our bodies, what? A living sacrifice to God. So our bodies in and of themselves are not evil, right? God created us good. We're supposed to present our bodies even now as a living sacrifice to God. We're supposed to give our bodies as instruments for God's use. But I think what he's referring to here, and I think what we need to understand is that this is talking about our humanness under the domination and control of sin. A condition as conditioned and controlled by sin. It is apparently a genitive of possession. A person's body before salvation is totally and utterly under the possession of the sinful nature. So you've got the old man controlling the body and the body, I don't think we're necessarily just talking about the physical body, but I think we're talking about our humanness, which is, of course, manifest through our physical bodies. 
And so because of our union with Christ's death, the body of the believer is no longer the possession of sin, no longer controlled and conditioned solely dominated by sin. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, we know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is, who is in you, whom you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Your body is no longer for fornication, is no longer for sin, it is for service to God. And so he says, listen, your body has been set apart for God. It, it is now, you are, have now done away with the what? The sinful body. Now what he's not saying here is that you will never struggle with sin. Now some of your, your, body, your Bibles will say here that the body of sin might be destroyed. Destroyed. But that gives us the wrong impression. Because if we all know, and if we're being honest, that we still sin. And we still have a propensity to sin, even as believers. And we say, well, where does that come from? Because we don't have what? A fallen nature. We've got a new nature. But we understand that we are still what? In an unredeemed body and an unredeemed humanity. And there's a certain sense in which when you come to salvation, you are still human, you are still animated, you still have a human brain. And remember, your thinking is more than just an organic thing. It's more than just your physical uh, uh, neutrons and electrons and whatever's going on in there, right? It has something, there is something more to us than just our physicality and our humanness. And he says, left in our humanity is still the propensity and the place where sin can take hold, our pleasures and our desires that are still left. And though we are new on the inside, and though we have a new desire to follow after God, and we have a new direction and desires, sin can still take hold in that humanness and our desires and our pleasures and draw us away. And that's why he says here, the sinful body might be done away with. In other words, our flesh, we could call this our flesh. Our flesh is still here. It's done away with. In what way? Well, this term for done away with, it occurs 27 times in the New Testament. But just as its usage in Romans would, but the usage of it, even just in Romans, will give us a better understanding of what it means. Paul says in Romans 3.3, 3, speaking of apostasy of Israel, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Now that's that same word, without effect. It couldn't mean destroyed because nothing could be destroyed. Nothing could destroy the faith of God. Again, it is presented having presented the magnificent case of the doctrine of grace, Paul says in chapter 3, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. Again, it couldn't render, do we destroy the law? The law is eternal and is not to be destroyed by any man. Again, in Romans 4.14, 4, he says, for if, we, for if they which are of the law be heirs, 
Faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. And of course, the promise of God could never really be destroyed. And so what is he saying? The word is better translated of none effect, of none effect. The idea here is the body of sin loses its dominance. It loses its total control. And I think in chapter 7, we see that in verse 2. A woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she lives. If the husband is dead, she is loose. Same word. doesn't mean she's destroyed. It means she's free from the dominance of her husband. He is dead. It means, this word then means, according to Thayer, to render idle, inactive, inoperative, to deprive of strength. And he's simply saying to make of none effect. In other words, your flesh no longer has the ability to dominate you in sin. It's of no effect. It's, It's deprived of force of influence or power to bring to naught. In other words, we are no longer subject to our bodies, to our humanness. We are no longer compelled beyond our control to obey it. And so he says, when you came to Christ, this is exactly what happened. You were transformed. Your nature was transformed. And the power that was over top of your flesh has been released. It is now null and void in your life. Which means, believer, you actually have the ability to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're actually culpable for your disobedience because he says what? It's no longer has power over you. It can no longer control you. It is without effect. So let us never forget that our old selves died with him on the cross so the tyranny of sin over us might be broken. And so he says, how can you continue in sin when you recognize that what? Your old nature's been eradicated and your flesh no longer has power over you. You now have power over it. And then he says in verse 6c and 7, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. We We no longer serve sin. It doesn't say we won't sin, but it's not a tyranny anymore. You don't have to sin. If you're unregenerate, what do you do? You simply sin. That's where you live. That's what you, what, what you are. Even the best things you do, according to Isaiah, the righteousness that you would consider to be the best that you do is what? As filthy rags. So the tearing of sin is total domination. What in the crucifixion of Christ and in his death in him, the old man dies. The body of sin is rendered inoperative in terms of its tyranny, and henceforth we no longer are under slavery to sin. We we are no longer enslaved to be bond slaves. We are no longer bond slaves to sin, but we are made free from sin and become the slaves of righteousness. Now the controlling force in our life is grace and godliness and righteousness and holiness. Paul reaffirms this reason in, in verse 7. For he that is dead is what? 
freed from sin. That is dead is freed from sin. And so he says, guess what? We no longer are what? Having to sin. Now we don't believe that. We, we all say, well, yes, but we have the remnant of the flesh. We can't be perfect before we get to heaven, right? And he is saying, listen, you can have victory over sin. But I want you to notice this. And, 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 and so just, I don't want us to be discouraged, but he, but he says this. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's a singular. That means any kind of sin, right? Sin in general. It doesn't mean we don't sin, but we're no longer slave to sin. We are, it's no longer our taskmaster. For he died is what? Free from that sin. From what? Sin. Again, he doesn't mean free from sinning. He means that you are free from the what? The domination of sin. And he says, that's, that's what we have. This is what we've been given in Christ. And so he says, how can we continue in sin? Because we died to sin. And in Jesus Christ, we were, we, were, we, we were baptized into union with him. We were baptized into his death and resurrection. And then ultimately, our old this body of sin was done away with. We no longer have that old nature. We no longer have our flesh that controls us. And we have been freed to sin to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we are going to come to these baptisms, we are making an outward expression of a spiritual reality. The, the, the people will be testifying that they came to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they were, what, united in union with him and in that, they were united in Christ's death and resurrection. They are now dying to self, dying to sin, dying to their hopes and dreams and being raised to what? To live in newness of life with a new nature, a new direction, and a freedom from sin. It no longer has to dominate them. And they, can now, they now stand before you to testify what? That they want to be identified publicly identified with that union with the Lord Jesus Christ and publicly identified that they have died to self and been raised to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and that they will live a transformed life, a newness of life for the Lord Jesus Christ because they have been freed from their old nature and they've been freed from their flesh. And now they are going to testify before you that they plan to live in that newness of life and have a transformed life because they are now living in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that salvation is just not forensic. It's not just something that happens to us. It's not just a legal standing. But salvation is transforming. And it changes the way we behave. It changes the way that we live. And I pray that we would understand that we can't live in sin. 
because we are united with Christ, we have been identified in his death and resurrection for sin and that we have died to sin and been raised to newness of life and that we have a new nature and a new direction. We are no longer compelled by the flesh, but now we can live in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we allow these truths to marinate in our hearts. May your spirit impress these truths on our heart. And then may we go forth and live in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing what has been accomplished for us in our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in your name. Amen.